Good morning. This has already been mentioned. We are grateful for the presence of everyone this morning, especially our guests and visitors, as well as our Lehman Avenue family. Today is a great day as we get together to worship God in spirit and in truth. But it's also a special day here at Lehman because this morning begins our gospel meeting with Brother David Decker. As has already been mentioned, he is no stranger to the congregation here at Lehman Avenue, but we're going to introduce him anyway. He was educated at Freed Hardeman and Harding University. He's been involved in mission work and preaching for a number of years, currently works with the Piedmont Church of Christ in Georgia and with the School of Preaching, the Georgia School of Preaching and Biblical Studies, serving as the director there for a number of years now. And I've been able to go there and be involved with the lectureship and work with David He and his wife, Debbie, have been married since 1979. They have two daughters and one granddaughter. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to be with him for this meeting, but we're glad that she let him come anyway. And so we're looking forward to his preaching. The theme of our gospel meeting is today is the day, and we're looking forward to his lesson this morning from Genesis chapter 3. Today is the day which the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118:24. Good morning. I want to thank Hiram for the very kind introduction this morning and tell you how privileged and honored I feel to be a part of this meeting and to be back at Lehman Avenue. I bring you greeting from your brethren at the Piedmont Road Church of Christ in Marietta and also from the faculty, staff, and student body of the Georgia School of Preaching and Biblical Studies. I also would be remiss if I did not bring you a genuine, heartfelt, loving, appreciative greeting from my wife, Debbie. Many of you may know she has been recovering from metastatic breast cancer, which she contracted last July. We have been through a year's worth of chemotherapy, many, many weeks of radiation, at least two episodes of surgery, and now she is still on a hormone pill, and will be so for the rest of, I guess, her life, or at least the next five or ten years. But those are not the things that have given her a cure. It is the grace of God, but also through the kindness and the love and the compassion of prayers, like those who have been said from you at Lehman Avenue, and from the cards that she has received Don't ever minimize the power and the efficacy of a card. When I would go to the the mailbox during the day and get that handful of cards and bring it back, it was more powerful and potent than the chemotherapy. Not to mention that if preaching ever dries up, we've got enough cards, we could start a second-hand card shop and do well for the rest of our days. Thank you. Thank you for the love that you expressed to God on Debbie's behalf. Wish she could be here today. Lord willing, the next time I come, she will be. Your elders have charged us this week to talk about two things. Number one, urgency. And number two, evangelism. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight 
or like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are threescore and ten or seventy years. And if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. These selected verses from Psalm 90 paint a beautiful picture for us of time and how time is related to God who has created it, but also how time relates us to God and the urgency that we must show in living for Him. In the Hebrew, it is the word yom. We read it over and over in the Old Testament, 2,300 times at least. It's not an epoch or an era of time. It's a literal 24-hour period that is talked about in creation in Genesis chapter 1 by the morning and the evening, and also in reference to the night. We just heard Moses' words from Psalm 90 about the days of our lives being 70 years. I don't know if you've ever considered it or not. A 70-year lifespan. If you add up the math or break down the math, is 25,567.5 days. If that doesn't make you want to take a nap this afternoon, I don't know what would. We don't think about the number of days we live. We break that up into larger chunks. And yet you hear the young parents when they say, the days are long, but the years are short. And it is so true with the urgency of life that we slog through every day. We face the challenges of every day. We, we go out and fight the dragon every single day just to make it through the day. And yet after a while we count those days. And they become the years of our lives, or the days of our lives. And each one is important. Each one has its own pivotal significance. When we open the pages of the Bible and begin to read about how God used those days in creation, and about how He put man in the garden and gave him a job to do, to tend it and to keep it, and how He blessed him with opportunities in the garden to do certain things, but gave him only one restriction and then gave him someone to help him do those things. Day after day, how blissful it must have been for Adam and his wife to live in this place called Eden. But as has been expressed this morning in our reading, we come to chapter 3, and when we do, everything changes. And we want to talk about this, that this morning, not to be morbid, but to be frank and real in our examination of the situation. There we go. The day mankind fell illustrates at least three things we'll talk about this morning. If I can get the slides to work. 
Hopefully they will at some point in time. There we go. Number one, evil has his day. His day began in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Indeed, God had said that. We read it in chapter 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. They made or sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Evil had his day. The temptation was brought before the woman. And as Paul would say later, she fell. She fell into transgression. And she gave to her husband, and he also fell. From that pure, pristine, sinless relationship that they had enjoyed with God. Evil had his day. And if you read on through chapter 4, when those two brothers had the confrontation they did and one killed the other, again, evil had his day. And brethren, as we sit here this morning in this wonderful old building, in this beautiful city, in the beautiful time of the year we call fall, evil is still having his day. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, To redeem the time. Paul implored the church at Ephesus, redeem the time, because he says the days are evil. And later in chapter 6 and verse 13, as he counseled to put on the whole armor of God, he said do that so that you will be able to withstand in the evil day. In Job chapter 1 and verse 6 and chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible talks about a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them and persuaded God to allow him to have Job. And God granted him that permission. Later in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, Chronicled also in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan came before Jesus and tempted him in the wilderness those three times and failed. And by the way, Satan is a failure. Not only is he a murderer and a liar, John 8, 44, consummately he is a failure. And one day he will come to a failure's end. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, 1 John 4 and verse 4. But in Luke 4 and verse 13... The Bible says when he had ended every temptation, he departed from him, that is Jesus, until an opportune time. And later as Jesus was spending those last hours with his disciples, John 14 and verse 30, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. 
He has nothing in me. Chapter 13, verse 27, after Satan had entered Judas, after he had received the bread and Satan entered Judas, Jesus looked at him and said, what you do, do quickly. I don't know about you, but I have always wondered if he was talking more to Satan than to Judas. Evil has his day. And the Bible tells us very plainly in Revelation 12, verses 9 and 12, that this great dragon, this serpent of old, was cast down. And because of that, we understand what it is to experience woe. The Bible tells us in Revelation that the devil has come down to us and has great wrath. And here's why. Because he knows that he has a short time. Satan understands something that maybe some of us need to be reminded of, and that is we don't have forever to get this job done. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work, our Lord said in John 9 and verse 4. Satan understands that. And so he has his day. And we think about the occurrences in the history of our own lives as we've come through the chronology of from birth until now about those days that stand out which seem to be more evil than the others. December 7, 1941. Maybe there's nobody here old enough to remember, remember that day. My parents remembered it well when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And the next year on August the 17th, 1942, my father went ashore with the 7th Marines on Guadalcanal. He remembered that day for the rest of his life. Maybe we remember days like November 22nd, 1963. I was in the third grade when the teacher stopped our exercise that we were involved in and told us that President Kennedy had been killed. Or maybe you remember April the 4th, 1968. It was a Thursday afternoon at 6.05 p.m. when we heard the news that Martin Luther King had been murdered in Memphis, Tennessee. Evil has his day. And evil will continue to have his day until the Lord calls a halt to his day. I hear people regarding covid saying that they can't wait until things get back to normal. Well, friends, ever since Genesis 3, this has been the normal. And I wondered if Adam and Eve thought the same thing. Well, you know, if we just wait long enough, things will get back to the way they were. Evil will have his day until the Lord comes again. Friends, since 1974, our culture has slaughtered 60 million babies. Evil has his day. And the second point that we want to emphasize this morning as we look further, Genesis chapter 6, and that is evil's progression, evil's path is not cyclical. It's, it's not pendulum-like, but rather it is progressive. It is progressive. Let's go over to chapter 6 and read. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then we really begin in verse 5. That's really the key. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and, or creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. I'm sorry that I've made them. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We read Paul's words in reference to the last dispensation of time. He uses the phrase, the last days. He's not talking about an apocalyptic kind of unfolding of the last days. This is the last dispensation of time that he's addressing. And Timothy and Paul lived during that time. But listen to his words. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Later in this same chapter, verse 13, Paul would say, Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Some of us who are older can't wait until the day where, at least in our own minds, the pendulum swings back and we go back to Mayberry. But you know, there were problems in Mayberry as well. But we think about the times in our lives when the world didn't seem to be so evil. And folks didn't have to arm themselves as they go down the road or lock every door or suspicion everyone who walks by. And yet evil is still, not like the pendulum that swings back. Oh, if we just wait long enough, maybe things will get good again. Friends, that will not happen in this world. Because evil is linear. It is progressive in its nature and in its path. And even Andy Griffith himself talked about the fact that his show did not mirror the 1960s in which it was filmed, but rather it mirrored life 30 years before in the 1930s. So things had changed that much in three decades. Evil has his day. And evil's day will continue. And that shouldn't discourage us. It shouldn't get us to the point where we're depressed and feel like there's nothing that we can do. As was said in the prayer this morning, the light and the salt and the leaven that we are to be in this world, that is the antidote for the evil that we see. Brother Marshall Keeble used to say, we're not, we're not supposed to be pulling weeds out here. We're supposed to be sowing seeds. That's the way to counteract the flood of evil that we see in life. And he's so right. He's so right. Milton Hepburn was... A coroner in New York City for 20 years, he wrote his memoirs back in 1979, a book entitled Autopsy, the memoirs of Milton Hepburn. 
This man had done 60,000 autopsies during his career. 60,000. And in his book, he says, I'm not a religious man. He was not a Christian. But he makes this statement. He said, I could tell you when I went in to examine a body where a murder had, had occurred, I could tell you in just a moment if the murderer of that person was a sexual deviant. There was a viciousness and a savagery and a brutality, he says, which was above measure. Above the ability for, for a normal person to be able to process almost beyond belief. And he said, the longer I did my job, the worse I got. So evil has his day. And even back in Paul's day, Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, he talked about Gentiles, heathens, who were depraved, a document, praved, depraved, devoid of any kind of decency and righteousness and holiness or purity. And so this is the world we live in, beginning in Genesis 3. But the encouraging statement I want us to realize as we go back to the book of Genesis is this. The Lord will have His day. And he does. In Genesis chapter 6, we begin reading in verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So the Lord looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But you, Noah... Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then he gave him the dimensions of the ark. If you go back to verse 8, the reason is stated. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is not just a New Testament concept. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you read on in the verses that follow, when that flood came upon this earth, God did exactly what he said. He would cleanse. He would purge. He would start the whole process again with Noah and his family. For again, 1 John 4, 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Romans 16 and verse 20, The God of peace, Paul wrote, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The word there in the Greek, suntribo, literally means to break in pieces or debilitate. The Bible tells us in Joel 2 and verse 11, The day of the Lord is very great and terrible. Who can endure it? Malachi 4 and verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. Romans 2, 4 and 5, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. When you go home this afternoon, read Second Peter chapter 3, 1-12. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And the heavens and the universe and all that we know in this realm of existence that mankind has known since God created him and put him in it, all of that will be dissolved. Because God will have his day 
The day of the Lord is coming. And today as we sing this invitation song and we begin this gospel meeting, rather than having a sense of foreboding, rather than having a sense of hopelessness, exactly the opposite. We as Christians understand that when Jesus comes, yes, He will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, Second Thessalonians 1 verse 7, but He will also come to be glorified in His saints. Brethren, if the thought of eternity and the thought of what we're talking about this morning, about evil having its day and, and evil continuing to progress, and yet the Lord is coming. He is coming. We're going to talk about that, especially toward the end of the week. If that doesn't light a fire under us, when we think about all the people that we rub elbows with every day, even in a COVID world, even behind the masks, all the people that we love and care for, that we have any kind of affection for, those people who are outside of Christ... I've said it before in this place, I'll say it again. The most dangerous place that one can be in this world is not in some inner city someplace or some emergency room or ICU that's eaten up with COVID-19 or, or some other malady. The most dangerous place that anyone can be this morning is outside of Christ. And there are so many that we, that we meet and we know and we love and we cherish every day who are outside of Christ. And the days they are coming and they're going with, with far, just, just far too great a rapidity. Again, the days are long, but the years are short. If your speaker lives two or three more weeks, he's going to be 66 years old when he stands in front of the mirror and says that. It's so surreal. Where did all the time go? Willie put it this way years ago. Ain't it funny how time slips away? Let us make the most of this day. Let us stand up before evil and say, You will not reign in my sphere of influence. Let us say to our adversary, You may destroy someone else, but you will not destroy me, and you will not destroy those with whom I can have influence with the gospel if there's anything I can do about it. Because the day of the Lord is coming. And if we can reach out with the saving gospel of Christ... And help snatch someone out of the snare of the devil. And help them come to their senses. And come to the Lord in full obedience of the gospel. Then we have done in that act exactly what God intends for us to do. Exactly what our Lord left for us to do in the Great Commission. Yes, evil has his day, but the Lord will have his and his will reign for eternity. As we sing this invitation song this morning. If you are not a saved individual, if your sins have not been bought by the blood of Christ, if you've not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins based on your confession of Him as the Son of God, your belief in Him as the Son of God and the repentance that has come from the godly sorrow in your heart, if you've not done that today, why, why would you wait? Why would you spend another day knowing that every day you live puts you closer to the time when He will come. Make the most of this day, for this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you need to come, would you do so while together we stand and sing?